0: 2 weeks ago I introduced this idea to you that we should never put God in a what? Box. box. Never put God in a box. And I want to expound on that just a little bit more. I kind of told you that a couple of, you know, weeks ago, but here's the reality is so many times we put our preconceived ideas of who and who God is and what God does In my life, in my world, we put those preconceived ideas that sometimes are not founded on truth, but they're founded on feeling. It just doesn't feel that's right. And so many times we take that preconceived idea and we place that on God. And the very second that we do that, we put him in a box. And if he ever goes outside of those preconceived ideas, Many times we get bitter, we get mad at God, and we start fighting back at him. And that is what I'm, that's what I'm, I'm going to push the box a little bit for you tonight. Because there is a truth here about Pharaoh's heart that is not, for many of us, we would feel as not fair or that is not right. And in those moments, I'm going to challenge your preconceived ideas a little bit of who God is. And how God works in our world and who we are, right, for the ultimate end to us to glorify him. Right? And so I really want, I'm going to push you a little bit tonight. And it's a healthy push because some of us have not really done a whole lot of study about this particular topic, the plagues and a Pharaoh. We just read the story and we think, oh, that's cool. Here's another thing I really want to help you understand is context, context, context. Right, Blake? Isn't that right? Context, context, context. Sometimes when we read Scripture, especially this little story, it literally happens. Sometimes we have this idea that one day was one plague, next day was another plague, the next day, and for 10 days there were plagues. That's not true. Because as you read through Scripture, you read through this story, you see it highlighted in different seasons, all right? And so that makes the story drawn out over probably about a month or two, if not three months, that all 10 of these plagues were starting to to happen. So you got to have that kind of framework and understanding. And you got to really dig in on, you know, sometimes you ask the question, why? Why would God send 10 plagues? Why would, you know, Pharaoh's heart be hard? Why, why, why? It doesn't make sense. It's not right. There is a plan. God always has a plan. Say that with me. God always has a plan. He always has a plan. He is always at work. He is never idle, right? Never idle. And so we have to have that mindset. We have to have that reality about who God is. He's always at work, and how he works is not the way that we would work. Right? Because in our little finite mind, our, is limited, Our understanding of even heaven is limited, but the reality of who God is is unlimited and is way bigger than what we could ever imagine. Don't put God in a box. You'll get jaded. You'll get bitter. You'll start labeling yourself as an atheist or an agnostic. You'll start going in different directions and putting labels on yourself and say, I'm out. Because you have had these preconceived ideas about who he is that are not founded in the truth of God's word. Maybe we read God's word just and skip it off the, you know, just skip off the leather. You know, I read the Bible through, I'm good. And you think you know God. But I think any of us would know that the more we study God's word, the more we see God's interaction with mankind. And we see how much bigger he really is than what I just initially thought at the very beginning. And so I want to challenge you, even as we get through this story, I want you to go back and read it. And I would love for you to read it slowly. Don't read it in one night, right? Read a couple of chapters, read a couple of passages, read each plague, study it. I'm going to give you a framework for it tonight. The very beginning is going to sound like a history lesson, and it, it, rightfully so, it needs to. But at, like I said, at the very end, it's really good, all right? So hang on, all right? We're going to answer some questions tonight. If anything, I might even question... Questions, all right? Here we go. Um, Thank you, Hunter, for reading Exodus 7. You just saved a lot of time. Um, But here's what I love about Exodus 7, verses 1 through 7. Is what I love about it. It's before anything happens. It's before one single plague ever happened. God called his shot. He said this, Moses, Aaron, this is how it's going to go. Swish. He calls his shot, and he tells them. He says, hey, there's going to be a judgment on the land of Egypt and I'm going to use you to go before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, and it's going to be great suffering, but trust me, I got a plan, and I'm always at work. God tells them exactly what's going to happen, which is so wild, okay? And that helps us to understand what's going on. And, so, and then it begins in verse 20 of chapter 7, the plagues begin. And some commentators, as you think through this plagues versus judgments, you know there's both. You can look at both of these, and you can you almost use those words simultaneously as you describe what's really happening to the Egyptians, and the the Israelites got a front row seat to see all of it. All right. And so as we look at each one of these plagues, it, it breaks down into three different categories. Here's category number one. You ready? The first one is the first three are distressful. Okay. They make life a little bit harder for the Egyptians. So, um, each plague, the first one is turning the Nile into blood. Now, I want to kind of set this up a little bit. God's always at work. God has a plan. And there's a reason why each one of these plagues are particular, okay? Okay? Why the blood turned why the Nile turned to blood? It was very specific. For the Egyptians, the Nile River was everything to them. It was life, right? It was water. It was transportation. It was everything to them. Right? Their towns and cities were close to the Nile. Right? Ramses had his nice palace that overlooked the Nile. And even the Egyptians had gods that they would worship that were gods of the Nile. And so you need to understand, too, about the Egyptian kind of history. They had a god for everything, and that's a little g-god, not a big g-god. They had a little g-god for everything. And there's a reason why there are 10 plagues, because God was passing judgment, a plague, on 10 different, actually almost all, but 10 specific little g Egyptian gods. And you're like, wait a minute, is that true? Yes. As you look into Egyptian history, I'm gonna try to pronounce some of these, these Egyptian, I don't know, butcher every one of them, okay? So you're gonna have a little bit of grace for me, all right? But turning the Nile into blood literally was to cut off the line. They, they could not drink water, okay? And so the Egyptian god, Hape and Isis, these are the god and the goddess of the Nile, And we see how this direct plague upon the Nile River was literally a slap in the face to the Egyptians. And you're going to see this played out in all 10 of these plagues. But the Nile being so specific, and uh, number one, literally number one on the list was the very first one. And he's going, God is passing a judgment on the Egyptians for worshiping the God of the Nile. And Pharaoh, who is kind of one of the characters in this story, He's not the hero of the story, right? He's not the main character of the story, but he is a character in the story. The response that Pharaoh has at the very first plague was, "Oh, that's so explainable, right? Because upriver there is red dirt, and there's upriver those that dirt has got it into, and that he calls in the magicians." And the magicians, this is what they do, they channel the water around out of the Nile to get clean water. And so they kind of make this little funnel basically over the sand and it kind of cleans out the water. And so it's explainable to them. Hey, I, you know, I got this Pharaoh, he brings in, you know, brings in the magicians. The magicians are like, oh, it's all explainable. It's the red dirt from up in the, you know, and we'll just clean it out. It'll be just fine. And so that's what happens. So plague number one. Plague number two. God continues his judgment. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened in this moment. Now, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. In other words, I don't need big G God. I got my little G God. I got my magicians. I'm good. I don't need anything bigger. I'm all right. And God says, all right, good. Plague number two, this is the one I I cringe at. The plague of the frogs. I don't think you want millions of frogs around you, on you, rolling on your while you're sleeping, squishing under your feet. You're like, wait a minute, Steve, I was thinking it was a couple of dozen frogs. No, it was like bajillion million frogs. All right? And so frogs... You're like, God, why would you plague the Egyptians with frogs, right? Because, this is crazy, there is a little g Egyptian god named Heket. It is the goddess of resurrection, fertility, and childbirth. And this is it. Ironically, the head of this little g god is a frog. And so in this moment, God is passing judgment and plaguing, actually going against that little g god that the Egyptians had erected on that. They were worshipping frogs, y'all. Does that feel weird to you? Yes, it should feel weird. And here's the thing. He, you know, Pharaoh kind of calls in his magicians once again, and he says, you know, hey, you know, his pride and all those things. He's like, those is just frogs. It's no big deal. Here's what's really awesome is that Moses and Aaron, obviously they're interacting with Pharaoh and going back and forth. And Moses says, "I'll pray for it, you. you know, that's all good." And here's what's amazing, is that the frogs, after Moses and Aaron prayed for it, the frogs immediately were dead. It wasn't like that the frogs just kind of like miraculously went back into the river or to the ponds or wherever they came from. No, they just rolled over dead right where they were. And so if you can imagine a kajillion, million, billion of frogs all over the ground, they naturally started, what do we do with a bunch of dead frogs that are on the ground? Well, I started start sweeping them up. And they made piles Mega piles of frogs. Dead, stinking frogs. This, this warms your heart, doesn't it? Just warms your heart. The Egyptians, oh my gosh, they were dealing with the rancid smell of dead frogs in their community. Can you imagine just walking down the street and just going, hmm, hmm that's just, hmm. Whew, that's good, thank you. <laughs> that blessed me right there, right? And so, Moses prayed and all the frogs just died, leaving piles everywhere. That's just not fun, right? Very distressful. Makes life for the Egyptians very, very hard. But once again, God has a plan. Pharaoh hardens his heart. In other words, I don't believe it. It's always explainable. Bring in the magicians. They can reason it out. And so he just pushes God off to the side. Plague number three. This one's fun. They actually get funner, if that's a word. They get funner. Plague number three in Exodus 8. It is the turning the dust into gnats. So basically what Moses did, he picked up the dust and blew it. And the dust, which in Egypt is a lot of, Dust, right? There's a lot of dirt in Egypt. Can you just imagine how many gnats there are? Just, ugh, ugh. like, okay, so this is an off story. It's not in the, in the notes, but several years ago, I did a camp at Shaco Springs in Alabama. It was a youth camp. And uh, we were sitting there, Shaco Springs, you know, doing all the things. We're out on the rec field. The rec leader is out there, and there's gnats flying around. But the rec leader was out there holding his fist up like this, and he was barking out orders. He was like, hey, you got to, you know, get into your teams, and it'll be great. And I walk up to him, and I said, why, why you got your hand in the air? He says, because the gnats go to the highest point. I went, say, what? He said, if I was sitting there talking, they'd be flying in my mouth. Can, but can you imagine? I, I thought, oh, gosh. The being plagued by gnats and there's a bajillion million gnats flying around everywhere. Can you imagine how many gnats got swallowed by the Egyptians? Can you imagine them flying into your nose and to your ears? Right? That's just not fun, is it? No. It's so, hey, I'm just dealing, helping you understand the reality of how distressful these things were to Egyptian life, right? It was not fun. And And here's the thing, even in that, Pharaoh dug his heels in and his pride and his arrogance would not lead him to submit to God's will. And so there it is. He hardens his heart again. In other words, he just refuses to believe. That's what that means. To harden your heart means to refuse to believe. Then, the next category of plagues happens, and these become painful. Painful. Plague number four is flies. Flies. Ah. So here's the thing with flies, and the reason why flies um, actually come right before the livestock, and there's a reason for that. So the flies. Now it's not just a couple of flies, right? It's, it's not like a couple of flies that just got in your house and you can use a fly swatter and just, no. It's called flies, like lots of flies. And these flies bring disease. These flies bring discomfort. And these flies are just no fun. And they land on animals and they bring the disease and they land on humans. And now Flies are transferring these diseases all over the Egyptians, and the Egyptians are dealing with disease now that they would not have had before. Once again, God is going after an Egyptian little g god named Uatchet. I believe that's how you say it. Uatchet. And it was, they believed that they little golden flies that they would worship, little golden flies. Because not only did they believe they would transfer disease, they also believed they would transfer good. And so, you talk about twisted reality and twisted religions. This is one of them. And so, Pharaoh's response: once again, he tries to outwit Moses and Aaron by bargaining with them. This is Pharaoh's response. He brings them in. He talks about, "Hey, you know, I believe all. You know, somewhat believe all these things, but." Here's the thing, in the bargaining that Pharaoh does with Moses and Aaron, it reveals his pride. He wasn't interested in submitting to God's will and to the welfare of the Jews. All that, he just wanted all the plagues just to stop. And so Pharaoh, once again, hardens his heart. It's not true. And some of the lies that Pharaoh encounters, and deals with, with Moses and Aaron and goes back and forth with them, you'll see that here. As we go on, plagues number five, livestock in the fields. He starts killing all of the cows, the rams, the goats, the bulls, all of those. And there's a reason for that. And even though all of the rams and the bulls and all that, and here's what's really awesome about this, is it was only the Egyptian animals now only the Egyptian animals were going down. They would look out into Goshen, which is where all the Israelites were living, and the, the animals looked just fine. They looked just fine. They were healthy. They were not affected by the plague. And many of the magicians of the Egyptians believed that it, the reason why all the livestock started dying was because of the flies. The flies that were right before. And God says, well, no, it wasn't just flies. It, it was me. And all the animals and the livestock just start dying. <laughs> I was watching a clip from a movie, um, uh, the Gods of Exodus or something like that. And it showed all the livestock starting like dying. And so these guys that would depend on cows and bulls to transport some of their, their work items and different things, like, would literally just in the middle of the road just die. And so their livelihood now was at stake. They could not make a, a living because of the cows and the bulls that would carry the carts of supplies could not go anywhere anymore. That just blew my mind. I just thought of cows dying in a field, but who knew that the, all the cows that were at work and them dying, and now it's really inconvenience. Now it's, And their food source, their source of meat, gone. They can no longer do that anymore. It's becoming a lot more painful. And guess how many uh, livestock gods there are in Egypt? I'll try to pronounce them. Apis, Minavis, Hathor, and Canum, K-H-N-U-M. Apis and Minavis were bull gods. Hathor was a cow god, and Canum was a ram god. Can you imagine? They had a god for every single piece of livestock. They were worshiping cows, y'all. If a cow walked by, that was a god, right? That's pretty wild to me. Anyway, so here you go. The livestock are hurt. And once again, Pharaoh resists. His hard heart hardens even more. And then plague number six happens. And this one is really painful. The Egyptian god, uh, the Egyptians just loved cleanliness, right? Loved cleanliness, and if they had any kind of skin disease or any kind of irritation, it would it would devastate them. Because everything was clean, everything was clean cut. You wear white; it's gold. Uh, you see, clean shaven. All those Egyptians, that's what they believed. Cleanliness was part of their culture. And for any of them to have a boil or an ulcer on their skin was devastating to them. And it was just all the Egyptians that this was affecting and not the Israelites. And so once again, it's painful to walk. It's painful for them to interact. It's painful for them to have any kind of interaction. And here's what's wild. Pharaoh calls the magicians, but the magicians couldn't come because it was too painful for them to walk. You can't tell me that God doesn't is not at work here. And so Pharaoh, because he's hurting, he's affected by all of this. He bargains once again. He brings them in. He brings them in, and he continues to resist God. And even as Moses and Aaron are trying to get his attention and saying, you have to relent, you have to relent, call on the name of the Lord, you have to relent, and Pharaoh just will not do it. And he's in pain, and he still refuses to follow God, still refuses. Then category number three, trying to go through these pretty quick. Now the plagues become dangerous, and destructive. And now these plagues have started out kind of minor, and now they're becoming very major, very major. And the next one, plague number seven in Exodus nine is hail. Now, not just like little pea-sized hail, and not just little pea-sized hail for about five minutes. This is called destroy anything that's living type of hail. It literally lays everything out. If you were not covered by shelter, you were really, and any livestock that was left over, it was done, gone. Trees mutilated. Palm trees, they pride themselves in palm trees in Egypt. Gone because of all the hail that came down. And it really hurt. I'm pretty sure it killed people that were just walking on the side of the road or tried to walk on the side of the road. And so you can just imagine. And in this Big G God is going after little G God and his little G God is named Seth. And it's the Egyptian God for chaos, desert and storm and crops. And so they would worship the storms that would come in, these Egyptians. And they thought every one of those clouds was Seth, a little G God. And once again, God is bringing all of that to bear on the Egyptians. Crazy. You're like, whoa. Whoa. And here's the thing, in the middle of that hailstorm, he calls in, Pharaoh calls in Moses and Aaron, and he begs that they would release, that they would let the hail begin. And in that was an insincere confession because Pharaoh never wanted them, it uh, was never going to let the people go. He was never going to let them out. He just wanted the plagues to stop. And so he gives a barter, he barters with them, and he starts to even then, his heart is still not repentant. His heart is still hard as a rock, but he is choosing to bargain and try to barter his way out of it. I think a lot of it had to do with the loss of livestock too, because in the bartering that Pharaoh has with Moses and Aaron, he says, hey, if if you, I'll let you go, but you have to leave all your livestock here. That's one of the negotiation tactics that Pharaoh was using. I'll let you go, but leave your animals here. He was just, he, he just wanted the plague to stop. He wasn't really sincere in that at all. Hard heart. When you have a hard heart, you make decisions that are prideful and arrogant and selfish. And that's exactly what Pharaoh was doing. Even though it was brutal, even though he was going through his suffering, even though his All of his people in his land are just crying out, literally crying out. And he still will not move. He still will not move. Plague number eight is locusts. (laughs) And when locusts come, locusts eat. Locusts eat everything. And they indulged in the land of Egypt, but they didn't indulge in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were living. And so the locust, the little G God is Osiris and it is the God of fertility and crops. But the irony is, is that the locust that God sent wiped out all the crops. And so once again, big G God is trying to communicate. He's trying to let everybody know that I'm in control, that there should be no other gods before me. I'm in control. locust. And once again, Pharaoh's response is half-hearted. He just sought relief without repentance. Started bargaining once again. Plague number nine, darkness. This was a big one. Now, here's the wild thing about this one. It was dark in Egypt, but it was light in Goshen. Pitch black dark. And the little G God, the Egyptian God of Ra and Horus were the sun gods. Here's the irony of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's, like his worship statue was the statue of Ra. That was specific to Pharaoh. That was Pharaoh's favorite God, was the God of Ra. That He actually had a God of Ra in his palace. And so he believed in the sun god. He worshiped the sun god. That was his end. That was who he was going after. And guess what God just did? blackout. <laughs> Turn the lights out. You can't say that God's not trying to get his attention. You can't say that. He's trying to get Pharaoh's attention. He's trying to get Pharaoh to soften his heart and experience the mercy of God, and he's refusing to do it. And darkness falls on the land. And once again, Pharaoh's response is very half-hearted. I'll let some of the people go, but I'm not going to let... I want the livestock. He had to replenish what was left in the previous plague, and he also tried to intimidate Moses and Aaron in this bartering. He said, if you ever step foot in my palace again, I will kill you. So at this point, Pharaoh is ticked. He's, had nine, he's nine, plagues dim, well, 10, nine plagues deep, and he's just now making threats to Aaron and Moses. And so there it is. Plague number 10, probably the worst one, is de- the death angel. And the firstborn dies. Pharaoh had a firstborn. Now it gets real personal, real personal. And there's an, I I, I tried to do a little bit more digging on this, on the Egyptian little g-god that it was. It may be the god of Aker, A-K-E-R. And it's the earth god or the helper of the dead. And so they had this little g-god named Aker. And this flies in the face Of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that now the firstborn had died. Now, how? If you know the story, hopefully some of you do. How did the Egyptians? How were they saved from this plague? Anybody remember? It's called the Passover. Lamb's Lamb's blood on the door. And if they had the lamb's blood on the door, the death angel would pass over that house. That's where we get the word Passover from. You read throughout Scripture. Uh, we still celebrate Passover still today. It's a reminder of that moment when the death angel passed over the Egyptian or the Israelite homes, and all the Egyptians' firstborn died. Now you think about this. This is the one of the plagues that we see where it affected the Israelites too. And so this death angel comes to everybody. If there was a Jew, if there was an Israelite, right, that didn't have the blood on the door, their family was affected by it as well. But if they had taken the time and made the sacrifice of the animal and put the blood on the door, they were saved. If ever there's a picture of salvation, I don't know what is. That each one of those people were saved by the blood of the lamb. Amen sits in that spot right there. You and I are saved by the blood of the lamb. Who's the lamb? His name's right there. Let's all say it together. Jesus. He has paved a way for us to have salvation. And you know what? He paved the way for the Israelites to have salvation too. He even gave Pharaoh... Ten chances, ten chances for him to experience the mercy of God, if only he would repent. If only he would turn his attention away from the little G gods and surrender to big G God. If only the Egyptian nation, the people, would have turned their heart toward God. The mercy of God was so prevalent. And the mercy basically means I'm going to remove what you so much are are being, you know, the judgment that is passed on you. I love you enough that if you repent, that judgment will be passed from you. That is God's mercy. He's merciful God. For those who repent and would change the direction of their lives, his mercy is his grace and his love toward you. That yet while you were still sinner, Christ died for you. So I'm going to ask you a deep question. You ready? Deep question. And this is where it lands. This is where it lands. I've done with the history lesson. Now we're going to jump into the application. What obstacles are you putting in the path, in the way of experiencing the will of God in your life? Here's the will of God, right? In this story, let me put it into context. The will of God in this story was revealed in Exodus chapter seven, where he said, I've heard the people crying and I am going to deliver them. That is the will of God. And the will of God and experience, I love this, we're gonna talk about this in two weeks. We're gonna let my people go. Like when they get out and they start dividing the sea and the first song is praise, it's prayed on the other side of the river. Like it is, woo, big deal, right? Big deal. But here's the kick. There had to be some faith that the Israelites and even the Egyptians, I'm sure some of the Egyptians would have thought, oh, why are they putting blood on the door? Why are they putting blood on their doors? What, what does that mean? I would hope and I would pray that some of the Egyptians did hear that. We don't see that in the scripture. I just hope that would, that would be true. I just hope. But here's the thing. Man, they believed it by faith. And we got to believe it too. We got to believe it too. That's that's what's needed is faith. For the hard-hearted person, maybe the obstacle for you, maybe the obstacle that we see even here, maybe you have a hard heart. Maybe you have gotten to that place of unbelief. Maybe, just I'm not making an indictment here. I'm not passing judgment on you. I'm just posing the question. I told you I'm going to ask pose questions on questions, right? Just maybe you are erecting little g-gods in your life, and that's becoming an obstacle of you experiencing the will of God in your life. That is true. And here's what I would say. Based on what I see in this passage of Scripture, and it's not out of context, that the very second that you start erecting little g-gods, and the very second that you start hardening your heart is the very second that the, pa- the judgment of God is coming upon your life. <laughs> will it look, will that judgment look distressful? Will that judgment look painful? Will that judgment look dangerous or destructive? I don't know the answer to that question, but I could bet that some of us who are walking in disobedience to the will of God in our hearts and our lives, you're walking to disobedience, you're probably feeling a little distressed in your life. You're probably feeling a little bit of pain in your life, a little bit of oppression in your life. Like I said, I'm not passing judgment. I'm just asking the questions of all of us and helping us to understand what the application here of this passage is. This is a major event, major event in Christian history, major and if we don't understand the context of what God is trying to do, it'll really affect us. Some of you are going, Steve. You haven't answered the question: Why did God um, harden Pharaoh's heart? I'm going to read you a little passage that I saw in a commentary, and it it's too much. It's too good for me not to like try to articulate. I'm just going to read it to you, okay? To the very end of the contest, Pharaoh was proud, unrepentant sinner who refused to hear God's word to do God's will, or even keep his own promises to the Jewish people. The Lord gave him more than enough evidence to convince him that the little g gods of Egypt were false, and the God of the Hebrews was the true and living God. Here it comes. Pharaoh sinned against a flood of light. I love that. And though God used him to accomplish his own purposes... Pharaoh made his own decisions and hardened his own heart against God. God gives us the free will, the ability to choose. Pharaoh had the ability to choose, but he didn't. And even though God used him and his decision to harden his heart, God used him to accomplish his ultimate purpose for the Israelites. That's deep thinking right there. Remember, God does not work the way that we think he should work. (laughs) Have you ever heard the phrase, he's a lion, you just need to let him out? God's like a lion. You can't cage him. You just need to let him out. Have you heard that? I think that's in a rap song somewhere. I think it is. I'm going to have to go looking on that. You can't put God in a box here. Yes, God used Pharaoh to accomplish his purposes. Yes, God did use 10 crazy plagues to pass judgment on the Egyptians. He did. And the Egyptians, along with Pharaoh, had the opportunity to confess and to believe in who God is. Y'all, the same question is for you and me. Do I believe that God... He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Do I believe that he is the one way to heaven? Do I believe that he is commander in chief of my life? Do I believe that he is capital L, Lord of my life? And if you can answer the word, answer to any of those, those questions, absolute yes. Then may I encourage you that you would never allow a little G God or the hardening of your own heart to trip you up to become an obstacle for you experiencing the will of God in your life? Will you just allow the Lord to get control of your life? Because trust me, trust me, when you do that, the blessings of God will come. And so, are you here tonight? Do you have a hard heart? Think about it. What are your actions? Think about it. How are you talking? How are you digging your heels in toward the things of God or even the will of God? Has your heart become so hard? You choose not to believe. You choose not to walk in faith. So many of us are doing that. So many of us are doing that. And please hear the call of God on your heart and your life. Please hear the God of the Bible that is saying, repent, repent change. It's your choice. Make the decision. I'm here with open arms to forgive, to restore, to cleanse, and to break the bondage of sin that's in your heart and your life. He will part the waters. I'm preaching myself into next week. He will part the waters for you so that you can experience salvation in him. And all you need to do is believe You would repent, you would believe, and you would receive him into your heart and your life. Do you know the Lord that way? Do you know the Lord that way? Or has your heart gotten so calloused and hard that even as I'm speaking, you're like, I'm out, done. All I hear is blah, 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 blah. Right? I know for many of you, that's it. And I'm praying that God would get a hold of your heart and your life. And I pray that it's not 10 plagues. I pray it's not a judgment. I pray that you would surrender. And for the believer in the room, is your heart tender to the things of God? Is your heart tender to the things of God? That if he speaks, your feet are walking. That you're not going to allow sin and little g gods to break the fellowship that you have with him. That you're not. You're going to step and walk in faith.